Well, thank you for indulging me. I thought that was so beautiful, and what a precious way to start this third Sunday of Advent. We're continuing our Advent series, and Advent, of course, means the near arrival of something. And I love that the season of Advent reminds us that no matter how hard we wish or try or pray, some things just don't lend themselves to immediate gratification. You know, some things have to wait. Even if you're one of those that puts your Christmas tree up the day after Halloween, Christmas is still going to come on December 25th. And isn't that just the way it is in life sometimes? There are some things we just cannot hasten. Pregnancy, for example, is going to take nine months. Healing of all kinds, healing from illness, healing from broken bones, healing from broken hearts. It all takes its own time. Advent and the ongoing waiting remind me that it's okay. It's okay to be in a period of anticipation, interruption, and pause. In fact, I'm moved by the fact that that scripture reading this, uh, that Jackie read this morning finds John the Baptist in prison. And like many of you who have the tradition of your advent calendars where you mark off each of the days opening something or crossing something off, or in uh, Marion's case, I know, eating a piece of candy, I think of John in prison making those hash marks on that prison cell wall as he waits for word about his fate. John the Baptist was thrown in prison for pointing out the infidelity of King Herod. And so here he sits in a stone prison cell, a prophet of God, waiting to learn if he will live or if he will die. And he says to his friends, go and ask Jesus if he's the one. Now, this is John who proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. John, who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River. John, who leapt in his mother's womb the first time that he encountered Jesus in his own mother's womb. There was a bond between these two. John was the voice calling out in the wilderness that Jesus talked about. The one, we're told, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. And yet here... In this place where he has been banished, abandoned, accused of a nothing crime for which he will surely be executed, John the Baptist is suddenly uncertain, doubtful, self-absorbed maybe even in his own suffering. Are you the Messiah? He wants to know. Now, maybe John's question is filled with hope, as in, please tell me that you're the Messiah and get me out of here, Jesus. But I kind of suspect it's more like, please tell me that all of this has not been in vain. We don't know exactly why John sent his disciples to Jesus asking this urgent question, but Jesus' answer to them leaves little room for doubt. He knows that John will require something so obvious, so factual, something undeniably affirming. 
Jesus could have just said, yes, I am he, I am the Messiah, but it really wouldn't pack as much of a punch, would it? And I kind of suspect that it would leave John with more doubts than certainty. You see, John, like Jesus, was Jewish, and he was steeped in Jewish tradition and in Scripture. And so Jesus uses Scripture to send a message to John in prison. You might even say it was a light in John's darkness. Go and tell John what you see and what you hear, Jesus said to the disciples. He says, tell them the blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. This is a summary of the words you just heard from Isaiah 35 in that beautiful little clip this morning. John would have recognized those uh, words immediately and maybe even have them memorized by heart. And Isaiah 35 reads like a litany of promises, doesn't it? It's hope for a dark and weary world, but it's also hope for any person who's ever experienced darkness, who's ever felt weary, weighed down by the heaviness of life, by things that are too hard to even talk about sometimes. Like John, you might be in prison, metaphorically or literally. You know what it means to have your freedom revoked, your plans put on hold, your heart broken and your soul crushed. You know what it means to have your world become so small you don't know how to find your way out of it. To have events in your life leave you doubting and afraid. But I want you to consider this. John would have known immediately, and so can we, that the lame walking and the blind seeing and the deaf hearing were all references to the fulfillment of Scripture, to the fulfillment of God's promises to come into the world and save it. And I can imagine John's heart leaping with hope, soaring, not for himself, but for the world. He knew what this meant. Have you ever noticed that that early morning sky and I mean that very early morning, as in you should still be asleep, but you're too weary or too wired to stay in bed. That sky is purple. And we know it's brief that our dark purple sky will soon enough lighten, and with it, the world will once again be teeming with the busyness of life. Well, we're in a, a purple sky kind of period in our church. Advent reminds us that we need to wait in the dark just for a little bit because we know that the light of the world is coming. It's about to break forth. New life is on the brink. And sometimes if we're lucky enough, early risers enough, we get to glimpse the beauty of that purple sky tinged with pink like you see here in this beautiful photo. Thanks to Jeremy Swanson, by the way, for this gorgeous photo. 
Well, today, this third Sunday of Advent, our candle is pink on our Advent wreath. It's a subtle change, but pink represents joy on the Advent lighting, and it reminds us that we're waiting, yes, but we know what's coming. We're in the dark, but we know God is still with us. That little pink candle that looks for all the world like a mistake by whoever put it in that wreath reminds us that we are already free. We're already redeemed, that the Messiah has already come into the world and saved it. And so we wait for Christmas as a reminder, a kind of spiritual discipline, really, that helps us remember the story of God's people waiting for the Messiah. But we're dealing with some very real human stuff down here on earth, for sure, hard stuff. But that little pink candle reminds us, that little subversive pink candle is a reminder that even still, no matter what we're experiencing, we have the capacity for joy. We have the right to be joyful because God is already among us. So yeah, John knew what that message from Jesus meant. As he sat in prison, his death sentence signed, sealed, and about to be delivered, he had the joy of knowing that the one he said, whose sandals he was not even worthy to untie, was indeed here, and even now was making all things new. So today, I want us to go through a little mental exercise together. I know that it can be easy for us to focus on the darkness in the world, on the things that we're experiencing that are extremely challenging instead of focusing on joy. And today I want us to just conjure up joy together. So right now I want you to consider what in the world brings you joy? What, Marie's already laughing, that's a good sign. What brings you joy? What experiences, activities, acts of silliness, what brings you joy? And as I look out at your faces, I know that for some of you, it's hard to even fathom joy sometimes. So for you, I want you to go way back. Go way back to your childhood. Let's make it easy. What are some of your best childhood memories, most joyful times. What about Christmas times? Your most joyful memories of Christmas. What sights and sounds and smells brought you joy? What traditions did you have? What moments of just being a kid brought you joy? I grew up in Fort Collins, which for those of you who don't know is just north of Denver on the Front Range and One of my favorite things when I was young was ice skating. But where we lived, you know, we were a bit of a small town back then, and the closest ice rink was over an hour away. And so every December, I would wait and wait for a good, hard, cold snap to come and freeze City Park Lake. And then the moment it was cold enough and the ice was thick enough, I would either walk to the lake or I would beg my parents to drive me so that my hands wouldn't be too cold to lace up those skates. 
And then I would just spend hours and hours imagining myself as the next Peggy Fleming or Dorothy Hamill. And afterwards, I'd head home for hot chocolate that my mom made on the stove with milk and hot cocoa because who had Swiss Miss back then? I also remember baking Christmas cookies with my mom's best friend who lived right across the street from us. My mom wasn't much of a baker, so I'm sure it brought her joy as well to send me to her friend's house to bake cookies. And I remember baking gingerbread uh, men and decorating sugar cookies with Marilyn. And those memories bring me such joy, especially now that Marilyn is gone. These memories of my own childhood do bring joy. And for all of us, reflecting on past joy has the remarkable effect of bringing more joy. They bring us joy for today, just remembering it. Stories from our past are a great place to start, but if you're not feeling it, and I get it, then there's another place you can go for reminders of joy, and that's scripture. You can focus your imagination on what God has done throughout history for humankind, the telling of the stories from beginning to end of our spiritual greats, and I would add not so greats, are all detailed in the Bible, and they point us back to God's presence, God's promise, and God's peace. So by reading and rereading what God has already done in the lives of so many, it can be a joyful reminder that God is definitely up to something. Now, the second part of the exercise this morning, and in the days and the weeks ahead, I would add, is to notice God at work in the world. It seems simple, but that can be a pretty challenging undertaking sometimes. Jesus, by the way, did not offer John the Baptist eventualities, right? He didn't in, in, say, someday you'll see, this will all make sense, or someday I'll send you some signs that, yes, I was really the Messiah, no, in his response to John's question, are you the one, Jesus was firmly based in the reality of now. He is firmly based in the particularities of your day, of this day. Go and tell John, he said, what you see and what you hear. The blind have sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news being brought to them. Jesus is not just giving him examples of the healing and miracles that he's performed, which alone would have been credible evidence of God at work in the world. And he's not just saying these are things that you can look for in the future that will tell you I'm the Messiah. These things Jesus says to John are how you know I am the one right now. This day, I am here. So we can look back to what God has promised, sure, yes. We can look ahead to what God has planned in the future, absolutely. That's where hope take, takes root for us. But look right now, here in this place, and in this time, look at what I am doing in the world, Jesus says. And by the way, 
Isaiah also says at the end of that verse in chapter 35 that on the day when the Lord comes, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. When we see God at work in the world, it cannot help but fill us with a sense of joy. So what do you see? What do you hear that tells you God is at work in the world? If nothing comes to mind, commit this week to noticing. Maybe you receive a phone call or a piece of mail that blesses you in a particular way. Maybe you prepared yourself in prayer for a conversation that went better than you could have expected. Maybe you encountered someone and felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. Just notice God is at work in the hands and the feet and the minds of volunteers in all kinds of ministries. God is at work in the questions and the doubts that people bring and want to share and talk about. God is at work in the Good Samaritans and the holiday baskets that we're receiving this season. God is at work in the bell ringers at City Market. God is at work in our response to war and to evil in the world. God is everywhere. Our job is to just simply notice. This morning, guess what greeted me when I jumped in my car to come here? A pink sky. We don't see those every day. Ah, I just, after I marveled at the beauty of the pink sky, I was like, oh, I got you, God. I see you. Thank you for that. Thank you. I'm going to close with this. I love the way that one woman wrote about God's presence. She wrote this in the form of a poem and prayer. God is soaked in our world. God's spirit lives and breathes in and through all that is. We are lost only when we do not understand that God is already with and in each one of us. Our task is recognition of God's initiative to be at home in us, acceptance of God with us. Then we cannot but be glad. God is at work all around us. And when we seek to truly know God in the world, And we ask, as John did from that prison cell, is it you? The answer is assuredly, yes, yes. And it is cause for joy even now, even in this deep purple time of waiting. Amen. And let us pray.